Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, another This Week in Cricket coming your way. Lippy talks us through New Zealand world domination. That's Brendan McCullum taking over as England coach. We talk the IPL New Zealand contracts, the fair break tournament. Um, but unfortunately, we've also got some sad cricketing news as well to chat through. The death of Andrew Simons, all coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, who thought we'd have been here again within the space of, what, three or four months talking about uh, the loss of a cricketer that certainly from a personality perspective lit up the world stage for a period of time, brought in, and from your your home state as well. So I think only only fair really to, to start with your views. Pretty raw emotions, I'd imagine. The news coming out just yesterday here in New Zealand. Yeah, re- I've really struggled over the last 48 hours, actually, boys, to be fair. Uh, Andrew Simons. Passed away in Townsville, uh, my hometown. He played cricket for the Wanderers Club in Townsville growing up. He was seven or eight years older than me going up through the grades, but um, lived in Charters Towers out in that mining country. We talked about it a couple of weeks on the ago on the pod. They breed them tough out in mining country, and he was certainly a tough character. Andrew Simons passed away uh, late Saturday night in Townsville in a single vehicle accident on a, a pretty treacherous stretch of road out there, and uh, he'll be sadly missed by... The North Queensland cricket community, the Queensland cricket community, Australian cricket community, uh, all all will very much miss Andrew Simons. And the thing that I think you know hurts the most is, like Shane Warne and, and like Rod Marsh, he's a larger than life kind of character. He he's the kind of guy who just loved the simple things in life and really appreciated the simple things in life. A lot of the tributes that have come out from players that that know him. And, and knew him, I should say, talk about his love of fishing and, and, and his love of a beer and, and just being out in the bush or out in a boat with his mates. And that's kind of him in a nutshell. He loved playing cricket and he played it, I think, for the right reasons, for for his love of the game. He didn't do it for money. He didn't do it for, for any other reason than for pure enjoyment. And I think that's something that we can all aspire to as, as individuals, as cricketers. He was never a perfect human being, and I don't think he ever pretended to, to be a perfect human being. Certainly, um, you know, he had his fair share of controversy around uh, some of the things that he was involved with, you know, on the field as far as as far as training goes and, and team meetings and so forth. But you know, he's going to be he's going to be really missed because he was just such a likable, lovable character. And even in the local cricket community, he always had time for people growing up. He was, you know, he never had tickets on himself. He was a wonderful, wonderful cricketer. And, you know, there'll, there'll be a lot of people that are hurting right now. A lot of people in that Australian community, people he played with, you know, around Queensland and around Australia who, who will really miss him. And, and it's really gut-wrenching for Australian cricket to, to lose three wonderful characters from the game, not just great cricketers, but wonderful characters from the game in, in the first six months of this year. So it's been pretty raw the last 48 hours. Well, it's, and I mean, you, you talked about three there. There's We obviously t- had Alan Davidson and, and Dean Jones are, are not far behind as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's I, yeah, I'm definitely thoughts out for the Australian cricket community because you think about, um, you know, the players and stuff that are, that are around, uh, they know a lot of these guys and, um, you know, I'm sure you meet them at functions and, and all that kind of stuff. You have coaching and all those. So, yeah, it must be really difficult for, for them and for the guys like Ponting and, you know, Hussey and things that are around and playing with, with some of those guys. So Yeah, Matty Hayden, he was great mates with, with Matt Hayden, the Australian Oper, and, and he's reached out and said some really nice things about, about Roy Simons and, 
you know he's he's going to be he's going to be really missed in that community and you know he he had some pretty significant contributions for Australia on the field particularly in white ball cricket but but also in test match cricket as well you know um, his stats at the end of his career you know paint a pretty good picture about him as a test match player as well as being a, a great ODI player for Australia. Yeah, remarkably, he actually has a positive plus minus in every single format of crickets. The six, uh, I, yeah, I was doing, you know, having a bit of a look at his, his crook info profile and tests, ODIs, T20s, first class, list A and T20, domestic T20s, his batting average is higher than his bowling average. And some of them are very close, you know, in the 30s and stuff, but that's a pretty remarkable effort. Um, and I guess just shows the, the talent I suppose he had, you know. I mean, he's not going to go down as one of the, the greatest cricketers of all time, but he was certainly, yeah, a very, very talented player and, and had a lot of uh, important contributions. I mean, the World Cups are, are what, you know, I can sort of remember him. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Baldy, what are your memories, I guess, from a cricketing perspective? I guess I, I'll, I'll just kick off, like, as a T20 player, I said to Raj on the – on the way up, he got big money, didn't he? In one of those early IPLs, and apparently was asleep when it all happened, and woke up the next morning and didn't even know there'd been an auction, and he thought it was a house auction. And um, you know, Ponting said to him, "You know, your shout tonight." And he's like, "What?" And it had to be told that he'd gone for, I think, over a million dollars. Well over a million dollars, deck and charges in the inaugural yeah. IPL in 08, Yeah, but but he didn't. You know, he was almost sort of at his peak or, or close to it at the start of that, the T20 revolution. If it had been, you know, five years later, you know, he's, he's probably the Dre Rust before. Dre Ross, isn't he? 100%. But, but what were your memories of him as a cricketer? I think early early on in his career, because he made his debut in 1998, I think Pakistan from, from memory in an ODI, but it wasn't until sort of 2004, something like that, where he made his test debut. So he was pigeonholed as a white ball cricketer for a very long time. And of course, his World Cups, we, we talked about that, Stu. The coming of age for Andrew Simons was really that big hundred he made against Pakistan in that 2003 World Cup. He was in there because of, you know, some injury and, and you know, there was Shane Warne uh, incident as well. He was suspended from the team. A couple of players were injured and all of a sudden Andrew Simons as an all-rounder bats, bowls, bowls a bit of meds, bowls some spin. Terrific field. Probably the best fielder in the world for a period of time. Made a big 100, made 140-odd in that game. Got Australia out of the poo when Australia were in big trouble against Pakistan in that tournament and then Australia were on their way. And then in the semi-final against Sri Lanka, he made 90-odd out of a out of a low score of 212 for Australia, got them through in that game. And then, of course, they dominated that final. So uh, for Andrew Simons, multiple World Cup winner, he won in 2007 as well with the Australian team um, and was a contributor there. And and my memory of, of Andrew Simons is really as a white ball cricketer, as I think as many people are, but that, that Boxing Day Test Match 100 that he made where, again, Australia were in, in the poo, where I think we were four down for not many against South Africa, uh, I think South Africa had posted a reasonable total on day one and he joined his mate Matt Hayden at the crease and they put on 280-odd together and that was his maiden test century. And the image I remember of Andrew Simons is him kind of jumping up and Matt Hayden's a big dude. He jumped three quarters of the way up Matt Hayden um, and was sort of had his arms raised in the air and his bat held aloft and, and wearing the, the, the white zinc cream uh, around, around his lips. And that's the sort of image that I remember of Andrew Simons. But for me... He kind of played his best cricket, and it's kind of incongruous with this reputation as this kind of lad about town, very relaxed kind of character. He actually played most of his best innings when Australia had their backs to the wall, backs to the wall against Sri Lanka in the final 2003 World Cup, the 140 against Pakistan, we were in the poo. The 100 that he made against South Africa, we were in the poo. So he actually was a guy that could be relied on 
in in really really tough situations but he was such a laid-back character that didn't feel like who he was as an individual he didn't have that gritty kind of personality to him and um yeah that's that's what i'll remember about roy guys let's move on from andrew simons um and Baldy can see, you know, the emotion on your, your face as you, you talk through um, that as a fellow Queenslander, so it can't, can't be easy for you. But we'll move and talk New Zealand contracts, Lippy. We, we uh, yeah, have done a little bit of a deep dive. I think we were going around on the Slack channel this week talking about uh, Bracewell over Nisham being probably the, the real standout decision in that um, contracts list. You, you've done a bit of research on the whys and wherefores. What do you want to say? Oh yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess there's been a lot of chat around that. I mean, I, I think that, as you say, that's the only surprising uh, thing when I look at those lists. Um, it's pretty similar to last year. Ross Taylor drops out, and Jimmy Neesham drops out, and uh, AJ's Patel comes in. Fair enough, obviously, and um, and Michael Bracewell's in. But I think it's really. I, I sort of thought, how is this? Like, how does it happen? And you know. Where can New Zealand see Michael Bracewell contributing more? I, you know, because when I think about that, Nisham is, you know, first choice in the T20s, probably first choice in the ODIs, maybe. What do you think, Raj? Close? Uh, I, I think he's one of the first cabs off the rank, but I think he's he is not in that first eleven. I don't think. For I the think ODIs. If, if you were if you were to pick a fifteen man World Cup squad, he would be. He would be in the fifteen. He'd be squad. in the fifteen man squad, and he is in your he's in your T twenty side. Yeah, and and not to be unkind to AJ's Patel, but AJ's Patel doesn't play a lot of white ball cricket, and doesn't play a lot of Test cricket, and has a central contract. And Jimmy Nisham, who plays a lot of white ball cricket in two formats, doesn't have a contract. It seems incongruous to me, purely from a number of matches played point of view. Or in a twenty twenty World Cup year as well, mm. kind of doesn't make sense at all. Well, but you also think it's a it's a T it's actually. In a in the contract year, it's a twenty. It's the twenty twenty three ODI World Cup falls into this, and that's obviously in the subcontinent. And I I think you know because I had the same thought. Like he must be in. He he's got to be close. If I was picking that squad now, he'd be in my fifteen man squad. But I think they must have looked at it and gone. I don't think we would pick him in our ODI squad if we were picking the squad now because, you know, you you look through. They've obviously completely ruled him out of the the test squad. Um, I don't know that he's even in the top 25. You know, I've I've gone through and done 20 because, I mean, let me read to you how the contract structure works and that'll probably make more sense. So, I mean, I went into the players, you know, players NZ Players Association agreement to try and find, I was, I was quite keen to try and find out what was going on. So for the purposes of determining a player's overall ranking, the criteria outlined in clause, blah, 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 in each contract year, New Zealand will rank 25 players against Test Match Cricket, ODI Cricket, and T20 Cricket. And they do all the same in all three. One list for each One format. list for each format. And the thing is that Tests is given uh, double standings. So Tests is two points, ODI is one point, uh, T20 is one point. I guess they must, you know, rank them one to 25 and then kind of flip and, I don't know, I confused myself with all the maths there. But, you know, essentially, if you think about the games, we've got the, you mentioned the T20 World Cup. But then we've got two tests and three ODIs away in Pakistan. The home tests and ODIs are very quite small series against Sri Lanka and then an ODI series against the West Indies. Then there's away ODIs to India and Afghanistan and the ODI World Cup in India. If you think about that, your all-rounder that you want to pick is probably going to be a spin-bowling all-rounder if you're picking the ideal side. 
whether New Zealand has a spin bowling all-rounder that they can pick in those formats. We've got Santner and the, the limited overs stuff. But, I mean, they've clearly just gone, well, Michael Bracewell, we think that you are a spin bowling all-rounder. And, uh, and, you know, the fact that he slots in, when I've done all my numbers, I'm kind of guessing, you know, sort of estimating where he might slot in. If he slots in, he's obviously in this 20-man squad to go to England. So that means you would think he must be in the top 20 there. So maybe he slots in about 18. And those points that he accrues there, actually, it's quite a significant amount. And even though I have Nishim above him in both the other two formats, yeah, it actually, it's a weird sort of system. And I think people might be, I don't know, maybe there'll be something that comes out and they'll go, oh, well, there, there is some sort of beef beef around Jimmy Nishim or something like that. But I actually think it's more he's a, he suffers because of the fixture list that we have rather than sort of anything. I wouldn't surprise me if he plays far more games than uh, than Michael Bracewell, as you said. So did you have Jimmy Nisham ahead of Ajaz Patel in terms of numbers then? Uh, look, I didn't. I only did uh, Bracewell Nisham. I haven't done uh, my complete maths because it threw my head uh, into a, a complete tailspin. But but I actually think Ajaz is probably in your top 25 in both those two formats, maybe not in the T20. But I think if you're thinking about an ODI World Cup... I, th- I thought he played pretty well in the uh, in the Bangladesh series that he had. You take Santner out, maybe something happens to Santner, something happens to Sodi. Who's coming in? And I th- I think it is a you want a specialist spinner in there. Like it's probably actually Sodi. If Sodi got injured, I think you want a specialist spinner. And I I would pick Ajaz, and I think that's what they're kind of going. Do you think there's anything to do with the amount of franchise cricket he plays? He he plays in all of these tournaments and. I guess the follow-up to that is, do you think he's had a say and said, do you know what, am I in your thinking for the T20 World Cup and the one-day World Cup yet? Yeah. Great. Can I go and play in the CPL and the Pakistan Super League and obviously complete this IPL and um, I, yeah, I'm, I, and not have a contract? Because financially, it doesn't really impact him greatly, you wouldn't have thought, given the, the amount of coin he'll be on in those those franchise tournaments. Well, I guess the comparison there is probably with someone like Glenn Phillips, who who is... In a similar position, he's a bit younger, and he does go and play all those tournaments as well. And he's he's probably in the sink thinking for all three formats here. He's played a little. He's played one test, I believe. Yeah. But look, yeah, I I don't think I don't feel like that's too much in the thinking in terms of going and playing franchise tournaments. It's what is, what is his impact going to be for New Zealand cricket, and that's a decision they've made. Mm. Well, and and I think that's you know maybe oh, I mean who knows is this a glitch in the system? Maybe not, but. I think the the issue here is that it the the way that New Zealand contracts it's about predicting future performance. It's not rewarding past performance, it, and that's sort of a decision they've made. And you know, I think you know that we had the same similar conversation, I guess, around Ajaz when Ajaz had was their number one spinner in a test in a test lineup, and he couldn't get a contract. So you know, I don't know. I think as you say, someone like Nisham, he's going to earn enough money in terms of the um, the contracts that he's going to pick up around the world if he wants them. It's it's more about looking after the player, though. I mean, in terms of James Neesham showing him that he is valued as a player that he's and he's currently in your squad and, you know, up until very recently was a f- probably first choice, first well, not first choice, but definitely in the first 11 as far as your international T20 side is concerned. From what you've said, it sounds like, to me, Ajaz is right in the frame in terms of that T20 World Cup, uh, not T20 World Cup, 50 over World Cup, Next year, or is he? Is, I is he think still? So. I think he's just, he, just you know, behind Santner and I think it, so. It's similar with Bracewell. It's that 
you know, AJ's is probably, I don't know, 12th on the test chart, test list in terms of your, your lineup or t- 13th or something. He's definitely in your top 13, you know, 12 or 13, especially when you're playing that series against Pakistan away. And those points that he picks up are just huge. And so if he can be in another format, yeah, I, I don't know. We're going into the, the weeds in terms of the maths and the numbers. But, I, you know, I I don't know. Maybe it, there was sort of just a lot of conjecture around, oh, Nisham's been dropped from this list. And, well, maybe I'm trying not to be a conspiracy theorist and going, look, it's actually just fine. Like, that's just – I think that probably the more interesting thing is that they – they clearly think Michael Bracewell is in the frame for the, for those things. And, you know, they've talked about how he is being developer spin bowling. You know, his like if you look at his plunk, I mean, he's on that test tour we talked about last week. His Plunkett Shield record last season was was pretty average. Pretty, well, it wasn't even average. It wasn't good, his Plunkett Shield record. His bowling average in terms of first-class cricket is not especially good. But, you know, I, I, I think he's developed a lot and he looked really good in those Bowling, at least in those two, his, uh, those games that he his played. His one-day numbers were all right, uh, so I guess yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think his super. You know, he had a brilliant super smash. He had an okay, uh, okay Ford Trophy, and and uh, you know, disappointing Plunkett Shield. But I think you know they're clearly thinking he's someone that's going to be in the frame. You know, like would would you pick is Colin de Gronholm? I think there's there's that battle for the ODI all-rounder in that World Cup squad because I think a lot of those names, you know, pick themselves in terms of actually just playing. There's all the seamers pick themselves, Santner, Sodi, and then you've got your top five top five batters and then you've got Will Young. So it's it's the all-rounders, I think, are the only question marks and that, yeah, they're obviously going. It's it's going to turn and, and we need someone. Awesome. Well, I've, I've got just the man to do the algorithm for you to go through um, all of that. Let's stay with New Zealand white ball dominance. Um, Sophie Devine, Katie Martin, Susie Bates, all involved in the final of the fair break uh, tournament. Um, Lippy, I know you've had a keen eye on that as well. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I'll admit it's it's been on late at night here in New Zealand. It's, it's uh, you know, there's only sort of so much uh, I can do getting up and, and watching things. And uh, so I've really only caught highlights, but uh, I, th- I guess I just wanted to shout out the Kiwis. You know, it's uh, it's something I enjoy doing on a, on a regular basis. And I, I mean, actually, I'm really hoping we're going to get to chat to, to one of those players in the next uh, in, you know month or so that we can try and talk about this tournament. Because I think, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I think it's been an interesting concept and, you know, the way that actually, I guess what comes out of it is probably almost more of my interest um, I think it's been great that they, you know, they've already confirmed that they're going to play the next edition of it in March next year in in, in Hong Kong. So look, I, you know, I, I think from that point of view, it must, it, you know, I think there's a very good indication that it's been a real success. There's been, you know, everything that you see in terms of, uh, I suppose, all of the the media that comes out of it, it's all been incredibly positive, especially from the the players that weren't you know all of those associate nations that we mentioned and all the players that you know weren't at that world cup and i guess didn't get to showcase their skills in in that environment so yeah i mean i, I think it's been it's been really really positive signs and uh yeah obviously massive shout out to to sophie divine and, and katie martin getting the getting the w the the tornadoes and um Sophie Devine, another 50 in, in that final, set up the win. And, I mean, she's won the Super Smash, the BBL this year. It's been a, a great, you know, obviously not a great year and for, for New Zealand in, in terms of the, the World Cup, but uh, individually she's picked up a lot of trophies this year. We'll continue with our tenuous New Zealand links um, through the course of the podcast. Um, 
Brendan McCullum, probably best known for his white ball cricket, um, is taking over the England test side. Some reaction from, I guess, this side of the pond first. Raj, are you um, are you are you annoyed that there's a New Zealander who's recently played such a big part in, in New Zealand cricket taking over, you know, against the enemy, England? No, not at all. I think, you know, there was a, a job there and he was clearly better than all the other coaches that are out there at the moment and they, they chose him so fair enough I think that he brings a really positive attitude that I like I love seeing people go out there and really attack the game so it's going to be interesting to see how he transforms that that sort of English way of playing the game or how they have played over the the last few few years because he did an incredible job for New Zealand cricket I was thinking about Back to that time where, you know, in Sri Lanka, where Ross Taylor, you know, that regime got overthrown and it was a mm. massive coup. But really, that was a, a massive turning point for New Zealand cricket. It was a brave thing to do. And um, look, we're still reaping the benefits of it at the moment. So hopefully uh, he can bring that to England as well. And Lippy, for, for English listeners, I've seen quite a lot of press that's referenced the fact that he started the cultural revolution for New Zealand in test cricket, which Kane obviously has inherited and got the mace for the World Test Championship. For, for people who probably aren't aware of that, what, what did that look like in terms of that rebuild and what role do you, do you, do you think he played in that? Well, there's a lot of uh, there's there was a, there's been a lot written. I, I, I mean, Raj makes a good point that it sort of happened. I, I guess the the point where it happened was that Sri Lanka series and and where the captaincy thing came out, you know, actually took place. But I guess the the place that they all sort of reference is us getting demolished in, in Cape Town and getting bowled out for forty five. Uh, it was yeah, you know, I remember watching it and it was just a complete disaster. And you know, they talk about how. McCullum, Hesson and Bob Carter and I can't remember a couple of the leadership team you know all sat in the room and were kind of like you know who are we what what do we want to do and and what is this team what who are we you know how do we want to play this game and you know they they talk about uh, you know who are we as New Zealand cricketers and and what that means and and all of that kind of stuff and obviously it went uh, I I mean I think about some of that stuff happening around when Philip when Phil Hughes died actually you know I sort of remember um, New Zealand decided for a while that they wouldn't bowl bounces in that game, and then you know, as and then and McCullum came out and just smashed it. Like they all just sort of, I don't know, like they threw the shackles off or something, and and it worked, and they turned around that Test series and they won a game. And I don't know, it's just sort of there's sort of just all these things that I guess happened, and yeah, that New Zealand team just sort of had this vibe suddenly of being this you know positive side we had a vibe of being the good guys and and all of those things and yeah i suppose they all you know mccullum obviously played a, a huge role in that and um yeah it'll be very interesting to see how he goes in, in the england stuff because i mean england i mean they reference him owen morgan references him in terms of their white ball uh turnaround doesn't he and you know, I, I was massively surprised when it happened. I, I, I mean, you know, when we've talked about it, we've always had other names in the in the mix. It's always been Gary Kirsten who's been thrown out there. You know, Graham Ford, I think you said, was someone who was getting thrown out in the media. I'd not heard a whisper about McCullum. And when you see McCullum, you immediately think white ball stuff. And but there he is. And look, I'm I'm sure he'll I'm sure he'll have an impact. You know, whether it leads to to wins and stuff, we we're about to find out. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Watch either way. I mean, what do you think, Bixie? I mean, you know, from from your point of view, is this an exciting appointment as an as an England fan? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to have seen the press. And, and I think look, there is a commonality between the English press and I think the New Zealand press to an extent. You do try and knock down a, a tall poppy at times. And, and we do that in England as well. And straight away, you know, the comments were, hold on a sec, this guy, what's he done in Red Bull cricket? Well, I'm like, he's got a triple century. He's averaged nearly 40 and he's rebuilt a side and essentially put the foundations in for them to become number one side in the world. So that, that's pretty reasonable for me as, as his Red Bull pedigree. And surprising yet that he got that gig ahead of the other one. But then even his explanation of that, I didn't want a cushy job. I didn't want to inherit um, a a side that's ranked number two in both white ball formats and maybe just tweak a little bit of what's been done and and, and look after that side. I want the challenge of of test match cricket. A nice little not so subtle insult there to the England side saying, you know, they're clearly at rock bottom and I I wouldn't have taken this job if uh, if it was too easy. Well, maybe you read it like that, uh, Stuart. I think that the, the the best thing for me, though, in terms of the appointment, is um, this is I think the third time they've you know they've, they've interviewed Gary Kirsten, and you know the the easy decision would have been to say he missed out last time to Chris Silverwood. He was mentioned in dispatches uh, in a previous maybe when Bayliss got the job. Um, so the easy call would have been, do you know what? We've overlooked this guy a couple of times. He's coached India. He's coached South Africa. He's got a fantastic Test match record. He probably is from a CV perspective, the guy to come in and do this. And they've gone, do you know what? Someone through the process, whether it's the interview process or the due diligence they've done, has emerged as a bit of a left field candidate. Um, and they've taken, you know, I think a, a pretty decent, uh, decent punt on this. Um, it's certainly going to be bloody exciting. And look, I believe he's going to have some input in the selection meeting that takes place this week for the squad against the Black Caps. And look, if there's anyone that's going to plot their downfall, um, he's a pretty good man to, to have in your corner from a strategic perspective, isn't he? Yeah, I'm not so thrilled about I'm not, <laughs> I'm not so thrilled about him taking over and his first series is against New Zealand. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Baldy, from a we've we've kind of steered away from you for a little bit but let's come back in terms of uh you know a neutral perspective on this you know i i think i threw in out in the um slack channel new zealand's sort of slight you know subtly kind of taking over world cricket we've infiltrated australia we've taken over the ipl we've got yeah we've got victorian in australia what, what do you what do you make of this is this is this going to be you know, if you were an England fan, would you be buzzed about this? I would be massively excited. As an Austra- Even as an Australian fan, I'm massively excited about Brendan McCullum coaching this England cricket side. Why? Because I think he's going to get the most out of their young batters. They're young batters who need a bit of a, a dose of, hey, look, you guys are good enough. Play without fear. Don't worry about the outcome. You just go out and express yourselves and you do what comes naturally to you. I think he's going to get the most out of the likes of Zach Crawley, Ollie Pope if he's back in the side. Those young players who just maybe need a little bit of a hug from their coach or at least a little bit of a mate. I don't care if you get none. Go out and express yourself. We're going to play without fear. We're not going to worry about about the result. We're going to play attacking cricket. We're going to play entertaining cricket and the result will take care of itself to a certain extent. And I think they're going to benefit massively for that. There is a train of thought that England need to earn the right to be attacking and they need to be able to play, you know, risk-free cricket for long periods of time and then earn the right to attack. Well, bugger it, I say. Let them go. Let those young fellas go. And and, and look, it can't get any worse than it has been for England over the last 12 months. So <laughs> well, that's they what may, Brendan said. They, they, may as well, they may as well go have a bash at it. And if he can get... 
Ben Stokes on the same page, and it sounds like they're perfectly in sync at the moment. And it's easy to be in sync at the start when when you know there hasn't been a game played and you haven't lost a you know a, a tough test match and all the rest of it. But hey, if they're on the same page. I think this is a massive shot in the arm for English cricket from a Red Bull perspective. If they can get Broad and Anderson back in the side, it's going, it's lookout time in, in 24 months for me. That's a great point. You mentioned a lot about young cricketers and uh, Brendan McCullum Cullum having that ability to bring them through and give them confidence. What do you reckon he'll do with the, the battlers like uh, Stuart Broad and James Anderson? <laughs> I think he'll just let them do their business. I, I, honestly, I do. I, if, if they want to be part of the side... Ben Stokes wants them in the side. I think they're still England's probably best two bowlers, at least for the next 18 months or so. You've got a young fellow, Ollie Robinson, on the rise. He's going to benefit from that kind of fearless approach. I think they're going to be back in there. They're going to have a little bit of vim and vigour. They're certainly going to have a chip on their shoulder, both of them, and have a point to prove that under Ben Stokes, they can still contribute successfully for England. So I think all things are pointing in the right direction for now, but I may be having a a glass-half-full approach here for this England cricket side, as I often do. I've got a chance for you to express yourself here, Binksy. Just around what do you think uh, a wicketkeeper or that number seven spot looks like under... Uh, a coach and captain like uh, Ben Brendan McCullen and Ben Stokes. Uh, you've got some con- you've got some uh, conspiracy theories. I feel. Yeah, I have. For those of you who don't know, Raj and I live just around the corner from each other, and um, we avoided talking about Jacinda Ardern on the way up today because it normally winds us up um, talking about our government. We talked about cricket instead, and um, I just said to Raj, it's really interesting. Who's been keeping wicket for Punjab Super Kings in the IPL? It's not been it's not it's been not Johnny Bairstow. Yeah. Very interesting that on his Instagram feed the last three or four days, wicket keeping drills, left, right, and centre. So there's my conspiracy theory. I, I wonder whether or not that's a subtle hint to McCullum. And um, I also think I, I'd imagine Brendan McCullum might have gone up to Josh Butler at some point during this IPL and said, mate, what are your thoughts about, you know, your test career? Is it something that you're interested in pursuing? Because I think he's got some options there and as much as I'm a purist as a wicket keeper, Ben Folks has been getting some runs in the county championship. You've got to say that the way that that side is setting up right now, if they can get um, Bearstow um, or Butler at seven and firing with Stokes batting at uh, batting at six, and um, maybe even a return for Moen Ali as well, who's also over at the the IPL. Um, I wonder whether the influence that Brendan McCullum has on that side and the way that he wants to play his cricket will uh, tell us something in that number seven and, and gauntlet spot. For the first time in a long time, I see a little glimmer in Binksy's eye. He looks <laughs> he looks like a man who has hope again. Which what? you haven't had for for a long time talking about this England side. Well, look, that can all be crushed on the 2nd of June at the home of cricket um, at Lords. Um, look, I, I am going to have a little bit of a right of reply. We're going to move on um, now. So we, we've talked up New Zealand cricket, but there's got to be some concerns in this IPL. Kane Williamson, the lowest strike rate since Jeffrey Boycott played T20 cricket, apparently. <laughs> and, and Devon Conway, the wheels have come off. So let's talk about the, the final stages of this um, IPL. Tonk firmly um, in cheek, but the RCB are in trouble. Rajasthan Royals up to second um, and you know that that Delhi Caps and, and Punjab game shapes up pretty critically over the course of the next uh, uh, the next little while yeah look um, you know I, I guess we'll, we'll say off the bat we've kind of saved the IPL to the end here really because we're not going to get the episode out for a few days and things just to I guess 
every time we talk about the IPL, it kind of flips on its head. It's gone from, you know, uh, very close and, and everyone's in with a shout. Then suddenly the top four are straight out. And then, you know, now it's kind of flipped around a little bit. And um, that fourth spot is is very much up for grabs. As you said, Binksy, personally, I actually think whoever wins that uh, Delhi Capitals uh, Punjab Kings, which will be played, it's playing tonight, New Zealand time. It'll be played. I think whoever wins that game probably finishes fourth. I know Raj is glaring at me because uh, I know he wants RCB to get there. But I, I will just quickly address your uh, your New Zealand thing. Kane, I want to have a bigger discussion about, but actually, let's let's give Conway a bit of leeway because uh, he got absolutely shafted for his uh, first baller because there was no DRS. DRS wasn't working and it was going way down lead. Mate, no room in the score, but for the story, mate. And uh, and he got an absolute ripper last night. You know, not often you get a chance to watch Devin Conway at, at ten o'clock at night in this IPL. So I stayed up and watched him. Well, and at uh, least you're in bed by five past. Well, yeah, he did get a good, de- get a very good delivery from Mohammed Shami. So uh, you know, we'll we'll quickly move on from there. But look, Kane, I mean, you you made a, a joke about it, but I I did see. Um, what did I saw? I saw some sort of stat that is his total batting impact, which I assume is something quite important. Uh, Baldy's your expert on this. What's the total batting impact, Baldy? Uh, well, you start off with your average and then you multiply this by a strike rate <laughs> and then it's balls faced in the power play and I think there's something to do with spinners. Yeah, I, I assume it's important. I, I'm, you know, I, I did see this and someone um, said that it's his total batting impact for this tournament is negative 111, which is the worst in IPL that history. Sound, that sounds bad. So that, that does sound bad. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I think at the start of the tournament, I said I would love for him to just completely sit out. Maybe Sunrise is completely to just not uh, to forfeit every game so that he can, you know, rest his elbow and, and get right for this test series. But obviously it's not been good shopping for, for Sunrisers. He's retained as, as the highest priced player on their list, there's you know you've seen players like Rashid Khan and and uh, David Warner go out and do good things for the the teams that they're now involved in. Is there any part of you, Raj, that's starting to go well? This is a bit worrying that he kind of doesn't look like he's batting fluidly. I suppose not at all. I think he's getting himself in the mindset for the second of June. <laughs> to be honest, with test the cricket, test cricket. Now look it. There's going to be ups and downs through everybody's career. Going through, he's come off a long layoff for his elbow. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't have a massive problem with it. He's not the only one struggling. There is a long list of uh, very, very good batsmen in the IPL this year really struggling. Look, at the end of the day, this is going to sound a bit, a bit. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> all of the above. Do we really care about the runs he scores in the IPL, whether he does them or not? We want him. We want him to succeed, but. Does it really matter? And oh, I don't. Yeah, oh, no. yeah. You're looking at me. I don't. I don't care at all if he scores. No, you know, he could get a you know ten ball duck in every single IPL game, and he comes out in the second and June and scores a hundred. It won't worry. Wouldn't worry me at all. But I, I get. Yeah, I guess. You know, like I said uh, about Joss Butler the other day, it's. It, I guess it confuses me that you can look so out of sorts in one format and then go into a, another format and be. You know, unbeatable. So, uh, you know, I think Test cricket, and I think the way he plays, it's uh, that is a, a different transition than for a Joss Butler because you go someone like him builds their innings, and and I think even his best T20 innings for New Zealand that he's played, he's built his innings, and then he's been able to capitalise at the end. He actually looked like he was going to do that in one, and that you know, his one really good innings for Sunrise has got forty odd, and then. 
you know, right when he was about to take off, got out. So, you know, someone like him, he's got, they've got to do that and then take off. And, he, and he's been, yeah, not even really getting starts in this tournament. So it, it hasn't been good at all. Well, boys, I, I really hope you've convinced yourselves with that because you're not <laughs> convincing me. If this was a video podcast, I'll tell you what, those the looks in your eyes would tell um, a different story. And um, So, boys, let's talk about the top four ramifications. We've just said the RCB post-mortem might take place after the, the tournament, Raj. Um, but, yeah, top four, what, what, are, what are we thinking? We, we know the answer to some of, that, uh, some of that question. Look, I feel like the top three are through and it's coming down to the, to the, to the four. So who are the, who are the three that are through, Baldy? Uh, let me just bring up the table for you here, Raj. I think the Gujarat Titans, Titans. are 10 and, 10 and 3 at the top yeah. of the table. Rajasthan Royals second with 8 and 5 there. Thank you, Binksy. And the Look Now Super Giants also on 8 and 5. They're probably all through, you would expect, with one game to play. Royal Challengers, Bangalore, big game for them to finish at 7 and 6. They really need to be at 8 and 6 to have destiny in their own hands. And the important thing there is that they are on a negative, negative. run rate. So they've yep. got the lowest run rate there if it does come down to a tie. And, and they play the Titans, which could be a blessing in terms of the fact that the Titans are actually... Are through. Are, are through and and through, I believe, in top qual- I don't think anyone can catch them can, as the top qualifiers. So caught, they might correct. go, well, let's give Hardik a rest and let's, you know, let's, or it's, we've got to play the best team and we got, you know, here, ha- they go, we've got a chance to knock out someone who could be quite dangerous in a, you know, one off situation. So, yeah, that could go either way. Mm, Delhi Capitals still have a game in hand too on the Rajasthan Royals and they've got six and six. So they could win two on the bounce and still finish eight and six. So even winning that game, it's not completely in the hands of the Royal Challengers Bangalore. Yeah, massive game, I think, for tonight is in New Zealand time. It'll, yeah, like, like we said before, it's it's going to have played out. But uh, yeah, I, I really think that, that the winner of that game, because you've got Sunrisers, or Punjab plays the Sunrisers in their last game, and you've got uh, Delhi Capitals playing Mumbai and... You know, unfortunately for both those two teams that that are playing, they're going to be on the beach already. You know, those two teams are kind of done. You just saw it with CSK last night. They they played a bunch of you know they gave a bunch of players a rest or you know played a lot of young players. And Mumbai has been doing that for a little while. Sunrisers could well be moving down that path. Maybe they'll let Kane go off to the the uh, the Test series early. The the Kings Punjab eleven are starting to also uh, really starting to rocket with the bat, like you said. Uh, that seven, what what did Johnny Bairstow get sixty odd off twenty nine balls mm. or something? Yeah. And then Liam Livingston finally, you know, continuing to prove himself to me is really starting to <laughs> yeah, just the five fifties in the tournament or something he's like that. Really putting his foot down, pedal to the middle. So what's what's that anagram? NSFW. SFW, yeah, the, that massive six. Look, I, I think that they're doing a really good job, and they are a, they are a big chance to make it through. Uh, they're playing Delhi Caps. That's what we talked about tonight. So that's going to yeah. be a big uh, a big game for the for the outcome of that top four. Well, boys, we will be on the air before the Dominator, the Pizzanator, the Eliminator, and all of those other eighters for the IPL to give our predictions. Um, on the final. Rajasthan Royals still looking in pretty good shape. They were one of our tips at the, the top um, of the tournament. Um, not many of the others made it into um, the list that looks to be contesting those final um, four spots. But that does wrap up the podcast for this evening. We hope you've enjoyed this week in cricket we will be back in your feed with plenty more news views and cricketing interviews over the course uh, of the next couple of weeks if you do want to dip back into the back catalogue take a look at the toporderpodcast.com or you'll find out where to listen to us online and where to also 
post some comments and feedback for the Top Order podcast. But for now, it's good night. God bless from us all here in Auckland. Stay safe. See you soon.